We were designed for deep and intimate connection, but far too often we find ourselves on relational autopilot. You want the marriage you dreamed of, not the marriage that you're settling for. Each week we share personal and professional stories, giving you tools and guidance, empowering you to restore and reimagine the marriage you always wanted. Welcome to the Thrive Marriage Podcast. For several years, Beth and I lived in Chicago and we went to a church in the inner city and volunteer with youth group and all of that. And when we were back one year with our kids, we took them to some of the playgrounds down around our church. And if you've ever been to a playground in an inner city environment like Chicago or wherever, you will notice that the playgrounds are surrounded by pretty high fences. And there's a gate and you can go in and the gate's open, it's unlocked, but you go into the gate and then inside the gate is the playground. It's the play structure, it's the slides, it's the picnic tables, it's the place, the benches where the parents sit and all that. And and at first coming from Colorado where we're not in an inner city environment and all of our play structures are kind of out in the open and there's just this vastness of openness that we have here. I was a little taken aback by these fenced in playgrounds in the inner city. But as we went and we had our kids there and they were playing, I realized that all of us were at ease. All of us had a sense of like, things are okay. And that the children can run off and go jump on the, the playground and do the things that they wanted to do. And then they could rush back to us and they could kick the ball and the ball would bounce up against the fence and it would come back and, and they were free to play and they were at ease with their play because there was a fence. And then as parents, we were at ease with our children as well because there was a fence. And we knew that, that they weren't going to run off accidentally into the very busy street, which was literally four feet away from the fence and cars rushing by. And so we knew that they were safe. Uh, the kids knew that they were safe. And even then we'd load up the kids and go home and I would drive by other playgrounds and there would be these fences as well. And I realized like I am at ease as a driver because the kids are contained because they are safe and well inside the playground. And I am safe as a driver. I'm not going to accidentally hurt somebody. And so as we talk about containment uh, and the desire for containment, that is a place I'd like for us to begin. Mm -hmm. When I hear the desire for containment and that it's hijacked by control, it, it brings up for me, like, who, who's going to hold me? And who's going to hold space with me for me? And, and then it makes me think about, cause we, we keep thinking about, so what does this look like when you were a kid? What, what might have been the circumstances that, that produced in you like the lack of, or that that desire for containment wasn't going to be met. And, and in the context of what it looks like to hold space for someone, I think about how often parents will send a kid to their room. Like, you know what? You just misbehave, like go to your room. Go to your room. When you can get control of yourself, when you can behave better, you can come out. And, and so 
the kid gets sent to their room, there is certainly like that door is shut. That feels like something is being contained in that room. But in reality, it's a lack of containment that's being provided because it's saying, I won't be with you. I don't want to be with you. You need to change in order for me to be with you. And in that, in that sense, right, the, I like the word outsourcing. I think a lot of our parenting is outsourced to other things. And what you're describing there is that the containment for that child was outsourced to their room. When actually the, the containment the child needed, the internal containment was from the parent to hold space. And I want to unpack what that means uh, a little bit to hold space for someone. But there's, I want to interject the word hold safe space, that inside that space, there is safety for you and there is safety for me. And we can be together safely, back to my playground analogy, that we can be inside this fenced in space and we are safe. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's talk a little bit about what happens when that, when when it's outsourced or when space is not held. And so I think about even in that example, it's like when you can get control of yourself, Yes. right? When you can control your emotions, when you can get under control, you can come back out. And so kids learn, all right, well, I will learn to have control then. Yes. Right. However that, however that happens, right? So either I won't feel I won't share my feelings. I'll find something else to do with my feelings. But this high value starts to be placed on, on staying in control. And I, and I think that then that the outgrowth of that as an adult is that you have to, you have to constantly be creating an environment that isn't going to allow any kind of explosions, anything that would require someone to be with you. Mm -hmm. right or or require it, like we can't have anything out of the ordinary happening because we don't know what to do with that right and it, it, i like your word the word control and that's what we're talking about here that the that there is a love of control or control begins to hijack actually this desire for containment because i i learned that my containment is outsourced and i continue to outsource my containment to other things I, can, I outsource it to my calendar. I outsource it to my, the organization of my closet. I outsource it to how, you know, how I am as a kind of a rigid person, how I dress and wh whatever it might be. Like that if I can control myself, if I can outsource my internal containment to something external, then I will be well. Mm -hmm. And, and I so think about- It has to be done this way. It has to be done by this time right? Yeah. It has to be done using this program, right? All of the ways that control. And I think about if, if we go back to the childhood thing, there's, there's families, if we just speak in extremes, there's one family of origin that is going to have absolutely no containment at all. And they, and, and no control. They're, it's just open. You are free as a bird to be and do and experience your life however you wish. And in that sense, that's not holding space either because it's removing the fences from the playground. And when children don't have that kind of 
person to come back to, to be held by and, and be guided by, then, then they will be just completely open and all over the place. There's no containment there. But then on the way, other end of the spectrum, there are these highly controlled, highly rigid, highly overbearing families that continue to ratchet down the level of control that, oh, that level didn't work. So instead of finding something different, we're just going to make it even more harsh or more rules or more rigid or whatever. It's, it becomes less of containment. It becomes about imprisonment. Well, about and a lack of curiosity. Years ago, Mark and I were part of a team that was interviewing a potential pastor candidate who actually his background was in the police force. So he went from being a policeman to being a pastor, which I think the is- The same thing in, in many ways. Right? And so he's sitting at our table and, and the conversation was around discipleship and he had this, an accountability. He had this little card that he, that had these accountability questions on it. And he was explaining that this is what he used with his staff. And so one of the things on the card was, I've shared the gospel with someone this week. And in all of these items need to be checked by the staff. And my question was just, okay, so what happens if you don't, like one of these things didn't happen? And he's like, well, but they do happen. Like this is, that's what the accountability is for. And I said, okay, but let's, let's just say like, I don't, I, I didn't share the gospel with someone this week. What's going to happen? And he said, well, I'm going to say, that's okay. You can share the gospel with someone next week. And I said, okay, so let's say, let's say a month goes by and I haven't shared the gospel with anybody. And he said, well, then, then I'm going to go with you. We'll share the gospel with someone together. Wow. Okay. Control the, like, I will have a staff and you will share the gospel and you will these things. And I said, would you be curious about why I wasn't sharing the gospel with someone? Like, is that part of the process of what we're going to talk about? And he says, there is no acceptable reason for not sharing the gospel. I don't care. That's a lot of control. And, and then that lack of curiosity. So there's really no care being offered. And I think that's where you were starting to go. It's like, we just ratchet down, ratchet down, ratchet down with no curiosity, no belief in the goodness mm-hmm. of what God is about in someone's life, no belief in the goodness of who that child or spouse, like we just. Yeah. Yesterday, even I saw this video of this dad who had, it was obvious. It was like either pre bath time or post bath time for a little toddler, probably like two years old. All right. And this dad is of the video of this, him sitting down on the floor while this toddler is in full on temper tantrum mode, screaming, legs kicking, punching the wall, like all that stuff. And the dad is just sitting there facing the child, uh, just sitting on the ground with the child fully melting down. And I have no idea how long the actual episode occurred because the video skipped forward, faded in and faded out over the course of time. But the child is full on temper tantrum 
for a good long while and then sits down back to dad is still looking at the wall. Still, you can tell crying and screaming, but then over the course of the video, the child slowly turns around and all dad has done is just sat there and held space, held a safe space to make sure the child wasn't going to hurt himself or, or anything in the process, but held the safe space for the child to turn back. Child eventually did, got into the lap of the father. Dad embraced the child, still screaming and crying. Hmm. Embraced the child and the child starts to climb up over his shoulder and starts to still doesn't have the internal containment to hold himself physically. But dad's, dad's there and still just holds this child. And then slowly as the video continues, the child settles down into the arms of the father and dad hasn't moved from the, from the floor. He hasn't moved. Child's in the arms of the father and slowly the father just starts to rock and the child stops crying and puts his head down on dad's shoulder and the two of them just sit there and rock. And then it's probably about the videos, five minutes, who knows again, how long they actually sat there and rocked. But I, I watched the video and I was brought to tears because of how that father held space, basically saying to the child, have all the big feelings that you're going to have. And it's okay for you to be angry. It's okay for you to be sad and confused. And, and I am going to be with you. I'm going to sit with you. I'm not going to leave you. And when you are ready, my arms are available for you to, to embrace you. Mm-hmm. And, and Tracy, I think about that and I'm like, okay, so that's with a toddler. But I also see all throughout the scriptures, the, the highs and lows of the psalmists, for example, that God holds space for them to be angry and confused and sad and depressed and happy and joyful and worshipful, that he's able to hold space and offer containment for us wherever we are in our emotional space as well. And so like I think about that, that image of that dad is, is really God's willingness to sit with us and stay with us and embrace us when we turn towards him and how, how much we actually need that of him. And that's that God-given desire for containment, not control, but to be held in that kind of safe space way. As you, as you name all that, I was thinking the contrast like what we see in the Psalms and what we see with Job, but what we see there. And, and I would even say we get, we get hints. I mean, we see it with Jesus, but then what's happened with a lot of Paul's writings, here's what the fruit of the spirit is. Here's what, here's what, right. That, that has become control. I was just in a meeting this morning where, where I was naming that, that a pastor's anger was appropriate. Mm -hmm. His anger was appropriate. And, and, and the organization with which I was speaking that to anger has not been appropriate. Anger is a problem. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not be angry. Do not be angry. And the contrast to what you're saying. And I think that this, especially inside the church, inside Christian homes. It's not exclusively there, but like you do not be angry 
do not have big emotions. We're supposed to just exhibit these fruits of the spirit, be gentle, be whatever. And, and so that's control is the only option. Mm-hmm. We don't really have a picture for what you just described as being good. Mm-hmm. Like that it is good that it was okay for you to have all of your big emotions and I will stay with you and not judge you mm-hmm. or not demand that you get smaller. So self-control is in that list. And I'd like to make a little bit of a difference from what we're talking about with the love for control and what scripturally self-control is. The love for control is really about that ratcheting down and, and coming to a place of, I can't manage what's happening inside, so I have to manage something on the outside. Self-control is about impulse. Self-control is about that I don't have wisdom. I don't have an awareness of myself. And so I can't control myself when it comes to the impulses of life. I I don't have self-control when I buy something. I don't have self-control when I, with my words, I don't have self, that's not the kind of control that we're talking about here. The kind of control that we're talking about is I used this word earlier, it's a little bit more on the, on the top end, more like imprisonment, that there is no freedom to be who I am. There is no freedom to experience what I'm experiencing on the inside, those big emotions. But there's no freedom. And that, that is where this control becomes really not what the gospel is about. Yeah, I like that word imprisonment. So I think for the, for the spouse that scores high on this control, getting curious about where you feel imprisoned, Mm -hmm. where having your feelings is not something that is even allowed and beginning to alter like that framework that, that has told you in your story that this is not allowable maybe even really reading some of those Psalms of David and imagining like what it would have been like to stand in the temple and watch Jesus throw the tables over those big emotions and, and start to imagine a little bit of permission for yourself to feel some more things. So I just think there's so much bondage in a lot of that. Yes. And I, and I hope you all, as our listeners here, you just said the word bondage, level of control, rigidity, imprisonment, that there's something about all of that that feels like it has to keep everything under wraps. Just mm-hmm. keep it, keep the box closed, keep the padlock locked. And that's where safety is going to, to happen. And I would enter into the curiosity of what would it be like? Would you allow yourself to imagine the possibility of being held without judgment, Mm -hmm. to be held in it, that someone could possibly hold space for you to feel all those feelings and still want to be with you. Which sort of leads us to, if you're the spouse of someone with high control, I would guess that you find yourself irritated and possibly even, you might even find that you feel controlled by them, which can produce a lot of, anger and resentment, but 
can you start to invite some of that? Can you start to be that, that person that says, what if for, for 10 minutes, we just sit and you, you, you get to feel what you feel. And I promise that I won't leave you. And I won't judge you. I'll just be with you. You don't have to process it. You don't have to go deeper. I, I mean, it's just a simple starting point. And we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And then we'll see what happens the next time. And we'll see what happens the next time. And a little bit more and a little bit more. And the you as the spouse offering that, you might need to continue to offer that. And we'll start real small. But you know, to, to recognize that it's, it's less about the external control and more about the internal space of, will you remain with me? Even when I feel all the things that I'm feeling, that's a lot to consider. So thanks for hanging with us through the series on all of these other loves. And if you haven't yet taken our assessment on the other loves to kind of see where you and and have your spouse take it as well to, to have some really good conversations about these things. You can find it at otherloves.net and take that assessment now to really see how God might actually be inviting you to a level of connection and intimacy that maybe you haven't quite known yet in your marriage. So we will see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us today on the Thrive Marriage Podcast. We hope that you are enjoying what you're hearing and would love for you to leave a review in Apple Podcasts if you do. As a reminder, you can go to otherloves.net to take the polyamory assessment and you'll immediately receive your results in an email along with different questions to ask yourself and your spouse. I don't know if you knew, but the Thrive Marriage Podcast is a part of the Thrive Marriage Lab, which is a monthly marriage membership community where couples are gathering each week for new content to help their marriages thrive. We only open up the lab once a year and it is opening again at the end of March. So make sure you go to RestoryLabs.com thrive to join the waitlist to be the first to know of when we're open again. Restory Labs is a digital laboratory of restoration counseling and you can find out more about us in the show notes. And we'll see you same time, same place next week.